Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and Kidnapped, Chapter 26 and 27, by Robert Louis Stevenson. And now, Chapter 26, End of the Plight. We pass the fourth. The month, as I have said, was not yet out, but it was already far through August, and beautiful warm weather, with every sign of an early and great harvest, when I was pronounced able for my journey. Our money was now run to so low an ebb that we must think first of all on speed, for if we came not soon to Mr. Rankler's, or if we came there he should fail to help me, we must surely starve. In Allen's view, besides, the hunt must have now greatly slackened, and the line of the fourth, and even Stirling Bridge, which is the main pass over that river, would be watched with little interest. "'It's a chief principle in military affairs,' said he, "'to go where ye at least expected. "'River forth is our trouble.' "'You can, the Zane. Forth bridles the wild Highlandman. "'Well, if we seek to creep round the head of that river "'and come down by Kippen or Balfron, "'it's just precisely there that they'll be looking to lay hands on us. "'But if we stave on straight to the Aldberg of Stirling, "'I'll lay my sword that they let us pass unchallenged.' "'The first night, accordingly, "'we pushed to the house of a Maclaren in Strathire, "'a friend of Duncan's, where we slept the twenty-first of the month, "'and whence we set forth again about the fall of night "'to make another easy stage.' The twenty-second, we lay in a heather bush on the hillside in Umvar, within view of a herd of deer, the happiest ten hours of sleep in a fine, breathing sunshine on a bone-dry ground that I have ever tasted. That night we struck Allen Water, and followed it down, and coming to the edge of the hills saw the whole carse of Stirling underfoot, as flat as a pancake, with the town and castle on the hill in the midst of it, and the moon shining on the links of forth. "'Now,' said Allen, "'I cannot have ye care.' "'but you're in your own land again. "'We passed the highland line in the first hour, "'and now if we could but pass yon crooked water, "'we might cast our bonnets in the air. "'In Allen Water, near by where it falls into the forth, "'we found a little sandy islet, "'overgrown with burdock, butterbur, "'and the like low plants "'that would just cover us if we lay flat. "'Here it was we made our camp, "'within plain view of Stirling Castle, "'once we could hear the drums beat "'as some part of the garrison paraded.' "'Shearers worked all day in a field on one side of the river, "'and we could hear the stones going on the hooks "'and the voices and even the words of the men talking. "'It behooved to lie close and keep silent, 
"'but the sand of the little isle was sun-warm. "'The green plants gave us shelter for our heads. "'We had food and drink in plenty, "'and to crown all, we were within sight of safety. "'As soon as the shearers quit their work "'and the dusk began to fall, "'we waded ashore and struck for the bridge of Stirling, "'keeping to the fields and under the field fences. "'The bridge is close under the castle hill, "'an old, high, narrow bridge "'with pinnacles along the parapet, "'and you may conceive with how much interest "'I looked upon it, "'not only as a place famous in history, "'but as the very doors of salvation "'to Alan and myself. "'The moon was not yet up when we came there. "'A few lights shone along the front of the fortress, "'and lower down a few lighted windows in the town, "'but it was all mighty still, "'and there seemed to be no guard upon the passage. "'I was for pushing straight across, "'but Alan was more wary. "'It looks uncommonly quiet,' said he, "'but for all that we'll lie down here cannily behind a dike.' "'and make sure. "'So we lay for about a quarter of an hour, "'whiles whispering, "'whiles lying still and hearing nothing earthly "'but the washing of the water on the piers. "'At last there came by an old hobbling woman "'with a crutch-stick, "'who first stopped a little, close to where we lay, "'and bemoaned herself in the long way she had travelled, "'and then set forth again up the steep spring of the bridge. "'The woman was so little, and the night so dark, "'that we soon lost sight of her, "'only heard the sound of her steps and her stick, "'and a cough that she had by fits "'draw slowly further away. "'She's bound to be across now,' I whispered. "'Nah,' said Ellen. "'Her foot still sounds hollow upon the bridge. "'And just then, "'Who goes?' cried a voice, "'and we heard the butt of a musket "'rattle on the stones. "'I must suppose the sentry had been sleeping, "'so the head we tried, "'we might have passed unseen, "'but he was awake now, "'and the chance forfeited.' "'This'll never do,' said Alan. "'This'll never, never do for us, David.' "'And without another word, "'he began to crawl away through the fields, "'and a little after, being well out of eyeshot, "'got to his feet again, "'and struck along a road that led to the eastward. "'I could not conceive what he was doing, "'and indeed I was so sharply cut by the disappointment "'that I was a little likely to be pleased with anything. "'A moment back and I had seen myself "'knocking at Rankeller's door to claim my inheritance, "'like a hero in a ballad.' "'and here I was, back again, "'a wandering, hunted blackguard, "'on the wrong side of forth. "'Well?' said I. "'Well?' said Ellen. "'What would you have? "'There are none such fools as I took them for. "'We shall have the farth to pass, Davy. "'Weary fall the rains that fed "'and the hillsides that guided it.' "'And why go east?' I said. "'Oh, just upon chance,' said he. "'If we cannot pass the river, "'we'll have to see what we can do for the firth.' "'There are fords upon the river, and none upon the firth,' said I. "'To be sure there are fords, and a bridge forby,' quoth Alan, "'and of what service, when they're being watched?' "'Well,' said I, "'but a river can be swum.' "'By them that have the skill of it,' returned he. "'But I have yet to hear that either you or me "'is much of a hand at that exercise, "'and for my own part, I swim like a stone.' "'I'm not up to you in talking back, Alan,' I said. "'but I can see we're making bad worse. "'If it's hard to pass a river, "'it stands to reason it must be worse to pass a sea.' "'But there's such things as a boat,' says Alan, "'or I'm the more deceived.' "'Ay, and such a thing as money,' says I. "'But for us that have neither one nor other, "'they might just as well not have been invented.' "'You think so?' said Alan. "'I do that,' said I. "'David,' says he, "'you're a man of small invention.' "'and less faith. "'But let me set my wits upon the hone, "'and if I cannot beg, 
"'Borrow, nor yet steal a boat. "'I'll make one.' "'I think I see ye,' said I. "'And what's more than all that, "'if ye pass a bridge, it can tell no tales. "'But if we pass the firth, "'there's the boat on the wrong side. "'Somebody must have brought it. "'The countryside will be all in a biz.' "'Man!' cried Alan. "'If I make a boat, "'I'll make a body to take it back again. "'So deed me with no more of your nonsense, "'but walk, for that's what you've got to do, "'and let Alan think for ye. "'All night, then, "'we walked through the north side of the cars "'under the high line of the Oracle Mountains, "'and by Aloa and Clackmannan and Colross, "'all of which we avoided. "'At about ten in the morning, "'mighty hungry and tired, "'came to the little clinking of lime kilns. "'This is a place that sits nearby in the waterside, "'and looks across the Hope to the town of Queen's Ferry. "'Smoke went up from both of these, "'and from other villages and farms upon all hands. "'The fields were being reaped, two ships lay anchored, "'and boats were coming and going on the Hope. "'It was altogether a right pleasant sight to me, "'and I could not take my fill of gazing at these comfortable, "'green, cultivated hills, "'and the busy people both of field and sea. "'For all that, there was Mr. Rankiller's house on the south shore, "'where I had no doubt wealth awaited me. "'And here I was upon the north, "'clad in poor enough attire of an outlandish fashion, "'with three silver shillings left to me of all my fortune, "'a price set upon my head, "'and an outlawed man for my sole company. "'Alan,' said I, to think of it, "'over there, there's all that heart could want waiting me, "'and the birds go over, and the boats go over, "'all that please can go, but just me only. "'Oh, man, but it's a heartbreak.' In Lime Kilds we entered a small change-house, which we only knew to be a public by the wand over the door, and bought some bread and cheese from a good-looking lass that was the servant. This we carried with us in a bundle, meaning to sit and eat it in a bush of wood on the seashore, that we saw some third part of a mile in front. As we went, I kept looking across the water and sighing to myself, and though I took no heed of it, Alan had fallen into a muse. At last he stopped in the way. "'Did ye take heed of the lass we bought this of?' "'says he, tapping on the bread and cheese. "'To be sure,' said I, "'and a bonny lass she was. "'Ye thought that,' cries he. "'Man, David, that's good news.' "'In the name of all that's wonderful, "'why so?' says I. "'What good can that do?' "'Well,' said Alan, "'with one of his droll looks, "'I was rather in hopes it would maybe get us that boat.' "'If it were the other way about, "'I would be liker it,' said I. "'That's all that you can, you see,' said Alan. "'I don't want the lass to fall in love with ye. "'I want her to be sorry for ye. "'David, to which end is there no manner of need "'that she should take you for her beauty?' "'Let me see,' looking me curiously over. "'I wish ye were a wee thing paler, "'but apart from that, ye'll do fine for my purpose. "'Ye have a fine, hang-dog, rag-and-tatter, "'clapper-maclaw kind of look to ye, "'as if ye'd stolen the coat from a potato-bogle. "'Come, right about.' "'and back to the change-house for that boat of yours.' "'I followed him laughing. "'David Balfour,' said he, "'you're a very funny gentleman by your way of it, "'and this is a very funny employ for ye, no doubt. "'For all that, if you have any kind of affection for my neck, "'to say nothing of your own, "'you'll perhaps be kind enough to take this matter seriously. "'I'm going to do a bit of play-acting, "'the bottom ground of which is just exactly as serious "'as the gallows for, for the pair of us. "'So bear it, if you please, in mind.' "'Conduct yourself according. "'No laughing.' "'Well, well,' said I. "'Have it as you will. "'As we got near the clakin, "'he made me take his arm and hang upon it "'like one almost helpless with weariness, "'and by the time he pushed open the change-house door, 
"'He seemed to be half carrying me. "'The maid appeared surprised, as well she might be, "'at our speedy return. "'But Alan had no words to spare for her in explanation, "'helped me to a chair, "'called for a tass of brandy with which he fed me in little sips, "'and then breaking up the bread and cheese, "'helped me to eat it like a nursery lass, "'the whole with that grave, concerned, affectionate countenance "'that might have imposed upon a judge. "'It was small wonder if the maid were taken with the picture we presented, "'of a poor, sick, overwrought lad and his most tender comrade. "'She drew quite near, and stood leaning with her back on the next table. "'What's like wrong with him?' said she at last. "'Alan turned upon her, to my great wonder, with a kind of fury. "'Wrong!' cries he. "'He's walked more hundreds of miles than he has hairs upon his chin, "'and slept oftener in wet heather than dry sheets.' "'Wrong,' quoth she. "'Wrong enough, I would think. "'Wrong, indeed!' "'And he kept grumbling to himself as he fed me, "'like a man ill-pleased. "'He's awful young for the like of that,' said the maid. "'Our young,' said Alan, with his back to her. "'He'd be better riding,' says she. "'And where could I get a horse to him?' cried Alan, "'turning on her with the same appearance of fury. "'Would you have me steal?' "'I thought this roughness would have sent her off in a dudgeon, "'as indeed it closed her mouth for the time. "'But my companion knew very well what he was doing, "'and for as simple as he was in some things of life, "'had a great fund of roguishness in such affairs as these. "'You need not tell me,' she said at last. "'You're gentry.' "'Well,' said Alan, softened a little, "'I believe against his will, by this artless comment. "'And suppose we were. "'Did you ever hear that gentrists put money in folks' pockets?' She sighed at this, as if she were herself some disinherited great lady. No, says she, that's true indeed. I was all this while chafing at the part I played, and sitting tongue-tied between shame and merriment, but somehow at this I could hold in no longer, and bade Alan let me be, for I was better already. My voice stuck in my throat, for I ever hated to take part in lies, but my very embarrassment helped on the plot, for the last no doubt set down my husky voice to sickness and fatigue. "'Has he nay friends?' said she, in a tearful voice. "'That he has so,' cried Alan. "'If we could but win to them. "'Friends, and rich friends, beds to lie in, food to eat, doctors to see him. "'And here he must tramp in the dubs and sleep in the heather like a beggarman.' "'And why that?' says the lass. "'My dear,' said Alan, "'I cannot very safely say. "'But I'll tell you what I'll do instead,' says he. "'I'll whistle ye a bit tune.' "'And with that he leaned pretty far over the table, "'and in a mere breath of a whistle, "'but with a wonderful pretty sentiment, "'gave her a few bars of "'Charlie is my darling.' "'Weast!' says she, "'and looked over her shoulder to the door. "'That's it,' said Alan. "'And him so young!' cries the lass. "'He's old enough to—' "'And Alan struck his forefinger "'on the back part of his neck, "'meaning that I was old enough to lose my head.' "'It would be a black shame,' she cried, flushing high. "'It's what it'll be, though,' said Alan. "'Unless we manage the better.' At this the last turned and ran out of that part of the house, leaving us alone together. Alan in high good humor at the furthering of his schemes, and I in bitter dudgeon at being called a Jacobite and treated like a child. "'Alan,' I cried, "'I can stand no more of this.' "'You'll have to sit it then, Davy,' says he. "'For if ye upset the pot now,' "'You may scrape your own life out of the fire, "'but Alan Brick is a dead man.' "'This was so true that I could only groan, "'and even my groan served Alan's purpose, "'for
for it was overheard by the lasses as she came flying in again with a dish of white puddings and a bottle of strong ale. "'Poor lamb!' says she, and had no sooner set the meat before us than she touched me on the shoulder with a little friendly touch, as much as to bid me to cheer up. Then she told us to fall to. There'd be no more to pay, for the inn was her own, or at the least her father's, and he was gone for the day to Pittencriff. We waited for no second bidding, for bread and cheese is but cold comfort, and the pudding smelt excellently well, and while we sat and ate, she took up that same place by the next table, looking on, and thinking, and frowning to herself, and drawing the string of her apron through her hand. "'I'm thinking you have a rather long tongue,' she said at last to Alan. "'Aye,' said Alan, "'but you see I ken the folk I speak to.' "'I would never betray ye,' said she, "'if you mean that.' "'No,' said he, "'you're not that kind.' "'but I'll tell you what you would do. "'You would help.' "'I could not,' said she, shaking her head. "'No, I could not.' "'No,' said he. "'But if you could.' "'She answered him nothing. "'Look here, my lass,' said Alan. "'There are boats in the kingdom of Fife, "'for I saw two, no less, upon the beach, "'as I came in by your town's end. "'Now if we could have the use of a boat "'to pass under the cloud of night into Lothian, "'and some secret,' "'decent kind of man to bring that boat back again "'and keep his counsel. "'There would be two souls saved, "'mine to all likelihood, "'his to a dead surety. "'If we lack that boat, "'we have but three shillings left in this wide world, "'and where to go, and how to do, "'and what other place there is for us, "'except the chains of a gibbet. "'I give you my naked word. "'I cannot. "'Shall we go wanton, lassie? "'Are you to lie in your warm bed and think upon us?' "'when the wind gowls in the chimney "'and the rain turtles on the roof? "'Are ye to eat your meat by the cheeks of a red fire? "'And think upon this poor, sick lad of mine, "'biting his finger-ends in a blame mirror "'for cold and hunger. "'Sick or sound, he must aye be moving. "'With the death grapple at his throat, "'he must aye be trailing in the rain on the long roads, "'and when he gants his last on a rickle of cold stones, "'there'll be no friends near him, "'but only me and God.' "'At this appeal,' I could see the lass was in great trouble of mind, being tempted to help us, and yet in some fear she might be helping malefactors, and so now I determined to step in myself and allay her scruples with a portion of the truth. "'Did ever you hear,' said I, "'of Mr. Rankiller of the ferry?' "'Rankiller the writer?' said she. "'I dare say that.' "'Well,' said I, "'it's to his door that I'm bound. "'So you may judge by that if I'm an ill-doer, "'and I will tell you more.' "'that though I am indeed, by a dreadful error in some peril of my life, "'King George has no truer friend in all Scotland than myself.' "'Her face cleared up mightily at this, although Alan's darkened. "'That's more than I would ask,' said she. "'Mr. Rankeller is a Kent man.' "'And she bade us finish our meat, get clear of the clakin as soon as might be, "'and lie close in the bit wood at the sea beach. "'And ye can trust me,' says she. "'I'll find some means to put you over.' At this we waited for no more, but shook hands with her upon the bargain, made short work of the puddings, and set forth again from lime kilns as far as to the wood. It was a small piece of perhaps a score of elders and hawthorns and a few young ashes, not thick enough to veil us from passers-by upon the road or beach. Here we must lie, however, making the best of the brave warm weather and the good hopes we now had of deliverance, and planning more particularly what remained for us to do. We had but one trouble all day, "'when a strolling piper came and sat in the same wood with us, "'a red-nosed, blear-eyed, drunken dog "'with a great bottle of whiskey in his pocket, 
and a long story of wrongs that had been done him by all sorts of persons, from the Lord President of the Court of Session, who had just denied him justice, down to the Baileys of Everkeating, who had given on him more of it than he desired. It was impossible that he should conceive some suspicion of two men lying all day concealed in a thicket and having no business to allege. As long as he stayed there he kept us in hot water with prying questions, and after he was gone, as he was a man not very likely to hold his tongue, we were in the greater impatience to be gone. The day came to an end with the same brightness, and night fell quiet and clear. Lights came out in houses and hamlets, and then, one after another, began to be put out. But it was past eleven, and we were long since strangely tortured with anxieties, before we heard the grinding of oars upon the rowing pins. All that, we looked out and saw the lass herself coming rowing to us in a boat. She had trusted no one with our affairs, not even her sweetheart, if she had one, but as soon as her father was asleep, had left the house by a window, stolen a neighbor's boat, and come to our assistance single-handed. I was abashed how to find expression for my thanks, but she was no less abashed at the thought of hearing them, begged us to lose no time and to hold our peace, saying, very properly, that the heart of our matter was in haste and silence. And so, with one thing and another, she had set us on the Lothian shore not far from Carradon, had shaken hands with us, and was out again at sea and rowing for lime kilns, before there was one word said either of her service or her gratitude. Even after she was gone, we had nothing to say, as indeed nothing was enough for such a kindness. Only Alan stood a great while upon the shore shaking his head. "'It is a very fine lass,' he said at last. "'David, she's a very fine lass.' At a matter of an hour later, as we were lying in a den on the seashore, and I had been already dozing, he broke out again in commendations of her character. For my part, I could say nothing. She was so simple a creature that my heart smote me both with remorse and fear, remorse because we had traded upon her ignorance, and fear lest we should have any way involved her in the dangers of our situation. We'll return with Chapter 27 right after these sponsor messages. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And now, Chapter 27. I Come to Mr. Rankiller. The next day it was agreed that Alan should fend for himself till sunset, but as soon as it began to grow dark, he should lie in the fields by the roadside, near to New Halls, and stir for naught until he heard me whistling. At first I proposed I should give him for a signal the Bonny House of Airly, which was a favorite of mine, but he objected that, as the piece was very commonly known, any plowman might whistle it by accident and taught me instead a little fragment of a highland air, which has run in my head from that day to this, and will likely run in my head when I lie dying. Every time it comes to me, it takes me off to that last day of my uncertainty, with Alan sitting up in the bottom of the den, whistling and beating the measure with a finger, and the gray of the dawn coming on his face. I was in the long street of Queen's Ferry before the sun was up. It was a fairly built burg, the houses of good stone, many slated, the town hall not so fine. I thought, as that of Peebles, nor yet the streets so noble, but take it all together. 
it put me to shame for my foul tatters. As the morning went on, and the fires began to be kindled, and the windows to open, and the people to appear out of the houses, my concern and despondency grew ever blacker. I saw now that I had no grounds to stand upon, and no clear proof of my rights, nor so much as of my own identity. If it was all a bubble, I was indeed sorely cheated and left in a sore pass. Even if things were as I conceived, it would in all likelihood take time to establish my contentions. And what time had I to spare with less than three shillings in my pocket, and a condemned, hunted man upon my hands to ship out of the country? Truly, if my hope broke with me, it might come to the gallows yet for both of us. And as I continued to walk up and down, and saw people looking askance at me upon the street, or out of the windows, and speaking to one another with smiles, I began to take a fresh apprehension, that it might be no easy matter even to come to speech of the lawyer, far less to convince him of my story. For the life of me, I could not muster up the courage to address any of these reputable burghers. I thought shame even to speak with them in such a pickle of rags and dirt, and if I had asked for the house of such a man as Mr. Rankiller, I suppose they would have burst out laughing in my face. So I went up and down, and through the street, and down to the harbor side, like a dog that has lost its master, with a strange gnawing in my inwards, and every now and then a movement of despair. It grew to be high day at last, perhaps nine in the forenoon, and I was worn with these wanderings, and chanced to have stopped in front of a very good house on the landward side, a house with beautiful, clear glass windows, flowering knots upon the sills, the walls newly rough cast, and a chaste dog sitting yawning on the step like one that was at home. Well, I was even envying this dumb brute, when the door fell open, and there issued forth a shrewd, ruddy, kindly, consequential man in a well-powdered wig and spectacles. I was in such a plight that no one set eyes on me once, but he looked at me again, and this gentleman, as it proved, was so much struck with my poor appearance that he came straight up to me and asked me what I did. I told him I was come to Queensbury on business, and taking heart of grace, asked him to direct me to the house of Mr. Rankiller. Why, said he, that is his house that I have just come out of, and for a rather singular chance, I am that very man. Then, sir, said I, I have to beg the favor of an interview. I do not know your name, said he, nor yet your face. My name is David Balfour, said I. David Balfour? he repeated, in a rather high tone, like one surprised. "'And where have you come from, Mr. David Balfour?' he asked, looking me pretty dryly in the face. "'I have come from a great many strange places, sir,' said I, "'but I think it would be as well to tell you where and how, in a more private manner.' He seemed to muse a while, holding his lip in his hand, and looking now at me, and now upon the causeway of the street. "'Yes,' says he, "'that will be best, no doubt.' and he led me back with him into his house, cried out to someone whom I could not see that he would be engaged all morning, and brought me into a little dusty chamber full of books and documents. Here he sat down, and bade me be seated, though I thought he looked a little ruefully from his clean chair to my muddy rags. "'And now,' says he, "'if you have any business, pray be brief and come swiftly to the point. Nick Gimino Bellum Trojanum Ordidur Ab Ovo. Do you understand that?' says he. "'with a keen look. "'I will even do as Horace says, sir,' I answered, smiling, "'and carry you in medius rest.' "'He nodded as if he was well pleased, "'and indeed a scrap of Latin had been set to test me. "'For all that, and though I was somewhat encouraged, "'the blood came in my face when I added, "'I have reason to believe myself some rights on the estate of Shaw's.' 
he got a paper book out of a drawer and set it before him open. Well, said he. But I had shot my bolt and sat speechless. Come, come, Mr. Balfour, said he. You must continue. Where were you born? In Essendine, sir, said I. The year 1733, the 12th of March. He seemed to follow this statement in his paper book, but what that meant I knew not. Your father and mother, said he. My father was Alexander Balfour, schoolmaster of that place, said I, and my mother, Grace Pitaro. I think her people were from Angus. Have you any papers proving your identity? asked Mr. Rankiller. No, sir, said I, but they are in the hands of Mr. Campbell, the minister, and could be readily produced. Mr. Campbell, too, would give me his word, and for that matter, I do not think my uncle would deny me. Meaning Mr. Ebenezer Balfour, says he. The same, said I. "'Whom have you seen?' he asked. "'By whom I was received into his own house,' I answered. "'Did you ever meet a man of the name of Ho-Season?' asked Mr. Rankiller. "'I did so, sir, for my sins,' said I, "'for it was by his means and the procurement of my uncle "'that I was kidnapped within sight of this town, "'carried to sea, suffered shipwreck and a hundred other hardships, "'and stand before you today in this poor accoutrement.' "'You say you were shipwrecked,' said Rankiller. "'Where was that?' "'Off the south end of the Isle of Mull,' said I. "'The name of the isle on which I was cast up is the Island Airade. "'Ah!' says he, smiling. "'You are deeper than me in the geography. "'But so far, I may tell you, "'this agrees pretty exactly with other informations that I hold. "'But you say you were kidnapped. "'In what sense?' "'In the plain meaning of the word, sir,' said I. "'I was on my way to your house, "'when I was trepanned on board the brig, "'cruelly struck down, thrown below,' "'and knew no more of anything till we were far at sea. "'I was destined for the plantations, "'a fate that, in God's providence, I have escaped. "'The brig was lost on June the 27th,' says he, "'looking in his book, "'and we are now at August the 24th. "'Here is a considerable hiatus, Mr. Balfour, "'of near upon two months. "'It has already caused a vast amount of trouble to your friends, "'and I own I shall not be very well contented "'until it is set right.' "'Indeed, sir,' said I, "'These months are very easily filled up, "'but yet before I told my story, "'I would be glad to know that I was talking to a friend.' "'This is to argue in a circle,' said the lawyer. "'I cannot be convinced till I have heard you. "'I cannot be your friend till I am properly informed. "'If you were more trustful, "'it would better befit your time of life. "'And you know, Mr. Balfour, "'we have a proverb in the country that evil doers "'are I evil dreaders.' "'You are not to forget, sir,' "'said I, that I have already suffered by my trustfulness, "'and was shipped off to be a slave by the very man "'that, if I rightly understand, is your employer.' "'All this while I had been gaining ground with Mr. Rankiller, "'and in proportion as I gained ground, gaining confidence. "'But at this sally, which I made with something of a smile myself, "'he fairly laughed aloud. "'No, no,' said he. "'It is not so bad as that. "'Fui, none soon. "'I was indeed your uncle's man of business.' "'But while you, imperbus juvenis custode remoto, "'were gallivanting in the west, "'a good deal of water has run under the bridges, "'and if your ears did not sing, "'it was not for lack of being talked about. "'On the very day of your sea disaster, "'Mr. Campbell stalked into my office, "'demanding you from all the winds. "'I had never heard of your existence, "'but I had known your father, "'and for matters in my competence "'to be touched upon hereafter, "'I was disposed to fear the worst.' Mr. Ebenezer admitted having seen you, declared, what seemed improbable, 
that he had given you considerable sums, and that you had started for the continent of Europe, intending to fulfill your education, which was probable and praiseworthy. Interrogated how you had come to send no word to Mr. Campbell, he deponed that you had expressed a great desire to break with your past life. Further interrogated, where you now were, protested ignorance, but believed you were in Leyden. That is a close sum of his replies. I am not exactly sure that anyone believed him, continued Mr. Rankeller with a smile, and in particular, he had so much disrelished me expressions of mind that, in a word, he showed me to the door. We were then at a full stand, for whatever shrewd suspicions we might entertain, we had no shadow of probation. In the very article comes Captain Hoseason with the story of your drowning, whereupon all fell through, with no consequences but concern to Mr. Campbell, injury to my pocket, and another blot upon your uncle's character, which could very ill afford it. And now, Mr. Balfour, said he, you understand the whole process of these matters, and can judge for yourself to what extent I may be trusted. Indeed, he was more pedantic than I can represent him, and placed more scraps of Latin in his speech. But it was all uttered with a fine geniality of eye and manner which went far to conquer my distrust. Moreover, I could see he now treated me as if I was myself beyond a doubt, so that first point of my identity seemed fully granted. Sir, said I, if I tell you my story, I must commit a friend's life to your discretion. Pass me your word it shall be sacred, and for what touches myself, I will ask no better guarantee than just your face. He passed me his word very seriously, but, said he, these are rather alarming prolocutions, and if there are in your story any little jostles to the law, I would beg you to bear in mind that I am a lawyer, and pass lightly. Thereupon I told him my story from the first, he listening with his spectacles thrust up and his eyes closed, so that I sometimes feared he was asleep. But no such matter. He heard every word, as I found afterward, with such quickness of hearing and precision of memory as often surprised me. Even strange outlandish Gaelic names, heard for that time only, he remembered and would remind me of years after. Yet when I called Alan Breck in full, we had an odd scene. The name of Alan had of course rung through Scotland, with the news of the Appen murder and the offer of the reward, and his name had no sooner escaped me than the lawyer moved in his seat and opened his eyes. "'I would name no unnecessary names, Mr. Balfour,' said he, "'above all Highlanders, many of whom are obnoxious to the law.' "'Well, it might have been better not,' said I, "'but since I have let it slip, I may as well continue.' "'Not at all,' said Mr. Rankiller. "'I am somewhat dull of hearing, as you may have remarked.' "'and I am far from sure I caught the name exactly. "'We will call your friend, if you please, Mr. Thompson, "'that there may be no reflections, "'and in the future I will take some such way "'with any Highlander that you may have to mention, "'dead or alive.' "'By this I saw that he must have heard the name all too clearly, "'and had already guessed I might be coming to the murder. "'If he chose to play this part of ignorance, "'it was no matter of mine, so I smiled, "'said it was no very Highland-sounding name, and consented.' Through all the rest of my story, Alan was Mr. Thompson, which amused me the more, as it was a piece of policy after his own heart. James Stewart, in like manner, was mentioned under the style of Mr. Thompson's kinsman. Colin Campbell passed as Mr. Glenn, and to Clooney, when I came to that part of my tale, I gave the name of Mr. Jameson, a Highland chief. It was truly the most open farce, and I wondered that the lawyer should care to keep it up, but after all, it was quite in the taste of that age, when there were two parties in the state, and quiet persons with no very high opinions of their own 
sought out every cranny to avoid offense to either. "'Well, well,' said the lawyer, when I had quite done. "'This is a great epic, a great odyssey of yours. "'You must tell it, sir, in a, in a sound Latinity when your scholarship is riper, "'or in English, if you please, though for my part I prefer the stronger tongue. "'You have rolled much. Quiregio in Terrace. "'What parish in Scotland, to make a homely translation, "'has not been filled with your wanderings? "'You have shown, besides, a singular aptitude for getting into false positions, "'and, yes, upon the whole,' "'for behaving well in them. "'This Mr. Thompson seems to me a gentleman of some choice qualities, "'though perhaps a trifle bloody-minded. "'It would please me none the worse if, with all his merits, "'he were soused in the North Sea, "'for the man, Mr. David, is a sore embarrassment. "'But you are doubtless quite right to adhere to him. "'Indubitably, he adhered to you. "'It comes, we may say, he was your true companion. "'Nor less paribus curis vestigia fidget.' I dare say you had both taken thought upon the gallows. And he thus moralized on my adventures. He looked upon me with so much humor and benignity that I could scarce contain my satisfaction. I had been so long wandering with lawless people, and making my bed upon the hills and under the bare sky, that to sit once more in a clean, covered house, and to talk amicably with a gentleman in broadcloth, seemed mighty elevations. Even as I thought so, my eye fell upon my unseemly tatters, "'and I was once more plunged in confusion. "'But the lawyer saw and understood me. "'He rose, called over the stair to lay another plate, "'for Mr. Balfour would be staying to dinner, "'and led me into a bedroom in the upper part of the house. "'Here he set before me water and soap and a comb "'and laid out some clothes that belonged to his son, "'and here, with another apposite tag, "'he left me to get cleaned up and changed. "'Thanks for joining us for these two chapters of Kidnapped "'by Robert Louis Stevenson.' We'll return next Sunday night as we get close to the conclusion of the story. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us with this story. And thank you very much for your reviews, and thank you for sharing with others. We'll return next week, Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, this is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon. <laughs>